you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and I'll be reading verses 33 through 40. I'm not preaching verses 33 through 40, but I'll read from 31 through 40 uh, for the immediate context. Hear the word of God. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with yours. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Amen. So far in this chapter, as we have looked at this chapter, Jesus begins with that introduction, really, in verse 12, where he declares that he is the light of the world. He is the means by which they can have the light of God. And then verses 13 through 20, he affirms, he tells them why they should believe him, namely because he knows the Father. In verses 21 through 24, the necessity for believing him or his testimony Verses 27, 25 through 27, you have the consistency of his testimony. He has been saying the same thing from the beginning. In verses 28, and 29, uh, 28 through 30, he points to the future, to the climax of his testimony, when he's going to be lifted up and they will know that he is the Messiah. Verses 31 through 32 give us the effect of his testimony. If they believe, what would happen? If they abided in his word, they would truly be his disciples. They would know the truth, and the truth would set them free. Why does he say that? Well, because they are in bondage. And here, verses 33 through 36 that we're going to look at this morning is going to describe their bondage and their means of liberty. Their bondage and their liberty. So Jesus says to them, or they say to Jesus, excuse me, we are Abram's descendants. Literally, we are his seed. We are the seed of Abraham. And we have never been in bondage to anyone. How easy we forget. If you think of the Jews, 
we can work backwards here. In John 19.25, they're going to say to Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. They, they are currently in bondage to a foreign nation. Not only that, but they had uh, been in bondage in Babylon and been in bondage to many other nations before that. They were in bondage in Egypt. And you think of the high point of, of uh, the revelation of God to the Jews in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, they're given the Ten Commandments. And this is you know, enshrined on stone. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And even in the Abrahamic covenant, God promises Abraham that your descendants will go into the land of Egypt and be slaves for 400 some odd years. How easy they forget. Yet, they may be talking, they, they may not be talking about a political bondage. They may be talking about uh, spiritual freedom that they have as descendants of Abraham and the blessings that would flow to them and would come to them once they were liberated by their Messiah. They may be saying that. But to say that we have never been in bondage is a lie. And uh, we make that same mistake too. Um, I don't know if I've read this to you before, but there's there's no better time for you all to read the fantastic uh, historical, uh, you know, real history, uh, 1984, than today. Uh, but there's there's a part in the book. The main character's name is Winston. If you've never read it, and uh, Winston is he's He's eating. He's sitting down. He's eating. This is my favorite part of the book. Um, and uh, l listen to this account here. As Syme had done earlier, Winston had taken up his spoon and was dabbling in a pale-colored gravy that dribbled across the table, drawing a long streak of it out into a pattern. He meditated resentfully on the physical texture of life. Had it always been like this? Had food always tasted like this? He looked around the canteen. A low ceilinged, crowned room, crowded room, its walls grimy from the contact of innumerable bodies, Battered metal tables and chairs placed so close together that you sat with elbows touching. Bent spoons, dented trays, coarse white mugs, all surfaces greasy, grime in every crack, and a sourish composite smell of bad gin and bad coffee and metallic stew and dirty clothes. Always in your stomach and in your skin, there was a sort of a protest, a feeling that you had been cheated of something 
that you had a right to. It was true that he had no memories of anything greatly different. In any time that he could accurately remember, there had never been quite enough to eat. One had never had socks or underclothes that were not full of holes. Furniture had always been battered and rickety, rooms underheated, tube trains crowded, houses falling to pieces, bread dark-colored, tea a rarity, coffee filthy tasting, cigarettes insufficient, nothing, and you know, don't trip over the cigarettes and the gin part in here, okay, because that's not the main point. If you've got a conscience about that, I'm not promoting drinking gin and smoking cigarettes. Not the point. Nothing cheap and plentiful except synthetic gin. And though, of course, it grew worse as one's body aged, it was not a sign that this was not, uh, was, was it not a sign, was it not a sign that this was not the natural order of things? If one's heart sickened at the discomfort and dirt and scarcity and intermittent winters, the uh, stickiness of one's socks, the lifts that never worked, the cold weather, the gritty soap, the cigarettes that came to pieces, the food with its strange evil tastes. Why should one feel it to be intolerable unless one had some kind of ancestral memory that things had once been different? <clears throat> Why would I read that? Besides the fact that I like it. I like that quote. Is this. Is you see these Jews here, they say they've they've never they've never been a slave. They they've they have always been free. And some people may have that mindset now. You may think to yourself, I'm not a slave to sin. I want to sin. I actually I'm I'm free. I do what I want, I do what I please. But there are instances, because you're a creature created in God's image, when living in that sin, when living in unrighteousness, feels wrong. And you don't know why, but you know that it is. Living in all of that unrighteousness, as he says here, there is some ancestral memory that things had once been different. It should not be this way. Why is it like this? Why am I in bondage this way? And why can I, no matter what I do or try to do, I cannot be free from the passions of my flesh? Because sin entered the world. Sin entered the world. Now, when we begin to talk like that, right, immediately the thought comes to mind, Right, um, this is from C.S. Lewis in um, um, Mere Christianity. He has this, he has this it's, it's funny, he says, um, uh, I guess, uh, I think it goes like this. He asked some little boy, you know, um, what do you think about God or who God is? And the little boy says, well, he seems to me to be a, do you mind if I read it? Or let me read it. It's funny, I read. He says this. He replied, the boy, 
As far as he could make out, God was the sort of person who was always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. And when, you see, it's funnier that way. Uh, when we begin to talk about sin and bondage to sin, immediately what our minds turn to is rules. What, what, what you're saying is, you're, you're, you, uh, there, this, this book has an ethic, and you are trying to enforce that ethic upon me. Right? But that's not the gospel. And you can't live that way. If that is the way that you interact with God, you will die in your sins. What Jesus isn't saying to the Jews is that you are in slavery to sin, and here are a list of rules for you to keep. That's not what he's offering them. Not at all. See, their bondage is displayed in their hatred for God and all that is good. They don't have a taste for the things that are good. Every once in a while you do, though. Like I said, every once in a while, living in your sin and in unrighteousness just doesn't feel right. You don't feel free. You feel like, why is it that I have to continue to, to, uh, to talk this way, to think this way, to act this way? Why do I have to continue to do these things? It, it's, it's, it seems so natural, but it's so unnatural for me to do these things. If, I, I feel bad when I do it. Why is this the case? Well, as he says, you are slaves. Um, I'm certain that we can go into where are the prisons. There are prisons around here, right? Over there, somewhere over there. We could, we could, you know, have a hidden cameras. Right? I'm certain that there are many things that those prisoners do in their jail cells that give them a sense of freedom, right? Do push-ups, read books, maybe listen to music, jumping jacks, sing, whatever they want, right? In their cell. But they're prisoners. And every once in a while, right? And, and if you go, you may hear laughing. You may hear singing. You may hear conversations, fellowship almost, is what it seems like. But at night, when they walk into those cells and the lights turn off and they close those doors... They're prisoners. They're in bondage. And that is the way that the unbeliever lives. He believes he's a free person, like these Jews did. We've never been in bondage. To, I've never been in bondage to anyone. I do whatever I want. Yeah, that's bondage. We were not meant to be governed by our fallen wills. We were meant to be governed by the holy, pure, perfect, righteous will of God. When God made Adam and Eve, right, the, the, the perfect description for them would have been the description that this apostle gives when he addresses the church in Second John and Third John. He says, little children... Because little children have a freedom that we old people don't. 
They're, 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 they're free of so many of the worries and concerns that we have, right? Little kids don't care. Tell them to get dressed. They don't take 15, 20 minutes. It's, you know, a pair of diapers, you know, and uh, whatever boots they can match, mitts, match socks, you know, hair's not combed. They don't brush their teeth, but they don't care. There's no worry, right? They don't have all of the weight and concern that we have. That's just one example or illustration of the freedom that little children have, and that is the kind of freedom that God called us to live in. So, for example, uh, you would get arrested if you ran around Kerhunson naked. Right? And, well, you should be arrested if you're... <laughs> <laughs> you all should be arrested if you. <laughs> but Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and didn't have a problem. Why? They were little children. They were free. I think there's a freedom that, that, that children have that we don't have. And that is the kind of liberty that Jesus is talking to these Jews about, but immediately they, they, lose, um, they, they, they lose what he's saying. They don't understand. They can't register the things that Jesus is saying to them. Because the liberty that he is declaring that they could have, they've never experienced. They've always been in bondage to sin. Yet even the slave, every once in a while, knows that there's freedom. Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answers them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Most assuredly, that's verily, verily, truthfully, truthfully, or amen, amen. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave is a, a person who is in, in bondage or subject to whatever it might be. And he's saying that they are subject to sin. And here, the idea isn't uh, the uh, corruption that we inherit from Adam, but to vices. They're slave to the vices. They love them. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And here, commits sin is continues in it. The one whose lifestyle is characterized by a repeated, continuous sin is a slave of sin. There's this... Um, I was having a discussion with uh, one of the pastors from, from uh, Florida, and uh, we were talking about a, a gentleman who is just deathly afraid of uh, the coronavirus. Just deathly afraid of it. And I just thought this was really perceptive, you know. The pastor said to me, um, he said, you know what I said to him? I, I said to him, um, so the argument was, you know, my health. Is it health is such a big issue? And he said to him, well then, if, if the issue is your health, right? What have you done about like diet and exercise? And the guy said, uh, nothing. So, you, so the issue isn't your health. 
That's not the issue. The issue is bondage to fear. You're scared to death, but you're scared of just fear. You're, you're fearful and you're bound to it. Because if it were just something that you can actually do something about, what would you do? You would do something about it. But there's a bondage there. The more freely one, this is a, one author wrote this, the more freely one does the perverse things he wills, and the less, yeah, and the less the difficulty he has in doing them, the more he is subjected to the slavery of sin. The more freely one does the perverse things he wills, and that's an issue, right? You have this with little kids, right? If you let your son or your daughter right, smack their siblings, right, and you just let them do it, what happens? The less difficult it becomes for them to do it. So they're not smacking them anymore. They're pushing them downstairs or biting them. And the more they are a slave to acting that way, and what it means is that when they don't get their way, you know what they do? It's easy. Their hands are loose, is the way that we used to say it. Your hands are loose, right? You, you, you get angry. You don't know how to talk anymore. Why? Because you've given yourself over to the vice of brutality that it's easier for you to hit somebody than to say anything. The person who commits sin makes a lifestyle, a habit, a pattern of sin. That person is a sin. To break free from that sin, from that bondage, requires outside intervention. Someone or something has to break in to free the person. That's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's this entire context. What does he do? The light breaks in and it helps the prisoner to see, I'm actually in chains down here in this filthy, stinking dungeon and I'm enjoying it. And I have been for a long time and I don't want to anymore. And slaves, now, now, now what Jesus does here in verses 35 and 36 is that Jesus, Jesus gives us a, an illustration in essence. And it's about slaves and house owners, households and sons. L listen to it. It's very interesting. He says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. In the house there, that word means household or family. In, in Jesus' time, there were like everywhere else in the world, even now, there are other places in the world, there are slaves, right? So there's not enough work, you go bankrupt, whatever it is, and you sell yourself into slavery, right? People would purchase people. Um, Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house. But how much freedom did Joseph have? He could do everything except pick the man's food. But everything else he was in charge of. All things, Joseph was in charge of everything in that house. So, um, slaves had this kind of, uh, they, they could rise to this kind of prominence and authority, so much so that Eliezer, who was Abraham's slave, 
Abraham even pleaded with God and said, Hey, God, do you know Eliezer is really faithful? Why don't I just give him my inheritance? Slaves could arise to such a place of prominence like that in the household. But their place wasn't permanent. The father or the head of the household did not owe it to the slave to give the slave anything. And if the slave left and the slave married and had children, the master kept the wife and the children. They were his. I'm not, um, you know, the morality of that. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this is the way that we should run the world. I'm just explaining history here. So the slave had, really for the slave, there was no permanence. But the son had it. He was the heir. And the household was it. So much so that the prodigal son to say to his, could say to his father, give me the inheritance. And his father had, you know, cashed out. Here's your inheritance. And he takes it and he leaves. This is the way that the world was run then. So what he's saying to these Jews who... They're in Jerusalem, right? That, that was God's city. Those were God's people. And Jesus is saying to them, your residence here is temporary. Th this land and the promises are not yours by right. They're the sons by right. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, because he has this authority and this prominence in the house, he runs it. It's his, really. Huh. Um, we, I, I thought it was Southern hospitality, but I don't know if it's Southern hospitality so much. But when... I think it's just general hospitality, right? When people come over to your house, you know, and let's say you're all sitting at the dinner table and people come over, what would you do? Let's say all the seats are filled and uh, your kids are sitting at the table and the guests come. What would you do? You keep the kids out, right? I would venture to say that's probably not the best thing to do. That's their table. That, that table doesn't belong. Now, I will make room for the guest. We open it up, we, right? And that sits uncomfortable with many of you, right? What are you talking about? They're guests. Yeah, but that's the kid's house. That's his table. That's his food. He, the, the child has a right to it. Where the guest is invited, you know? Anyway, I don't want to meddle with how you run your dinner tables. But you get my point, right? And that's what the point that Jesus is making is that he has the place of prominence in the house. In other words, in other words, think, think of it this way. What Jesus is saying is, I'm the seed of Abraham. You are not the seed of Abraham. That's Jesus' argument with them. He's saying to them, this is not, this is not your city. That's not your temple. This is not your house. This is my father's house. And if I set you free, then you have the liberty of the sons of God. Listen to how, how Paul puts it here in Galatians. 
in Galatians, uh, this is probably one of the, the clearest places where Paul uh, develops this argument. And in the book of Galatians, he says this. It's in Galatians chapter 3 and beginning at verse, verse 15. Three fifteen, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. This, this word here, we are the descendants of Abraham, is this word seed, which is the Greek word sperma. You could you, you just figure out what do we translate that into English, right? That is where the seed is carried, right? And to his seed, the promises were made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. When God made the promise to Abraham, he wasn't making the promise to the Jewish nation. He wasn't. Look, that's what Paul says. And he does not say, and to seeds, a bunch of people. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? But as of one, and your seed, who is Christ? And Jesus is saying to the Jews, you, you, you don't really understand. Not only are you mistaken about your bondage, you are mistaken about your uh, heredity. That's a word, I think. You're mistaken. You're not the children of Abraham. Uh, John the Baptist, when he starts preaching, what does he say to the Jews? Don't, don't run around here saying you're the children of Abraham. God could raise up stones to be Abraham's children. Don't run around here saying that. That's not the way to heaven. Genetics, genes, blood type, you know, that has, hey, if you're like, I think, I think, I think it's like if you're one tenth ethnically Jew, you could go to Jerusalem and get citizenship there. Something like that. That has nothing to do with going to heaven. Nothing at all. If the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Jesus must set you free. And what, what is he talking about there? What, what does he mean by setting you free? Well, what he means is, of course, freed from the power of sin in your life so that it's not a continued pattern and you're not a slave to it. There are many passages, Romans Seven is a great place to go. We don't have time. But ultimately what he's talking about is what Paul calls in Romans 8.21 the glorious liberty of the children of God. And I love that. The, the way he says that. The glorious liberty of the children of God is this. Is that ultimately one day I'm going to be freed from all sin. It will never have any power over me. When Jesus returns, I will be completely freed from the power of sin. I will no longer be in bondage. 
In this world, there's this already not yet where I can with confidence say that Jesus is my Savior. He saved me from my sin. Yet there's another member working in me where there's this fight in my soul, right? But the fact that there's a fight means that there's life. Regeneration is, is, uh, is uh, this is a bad way to put it, but it's spreading, right? That regenerative work of God is spreading in the heart of man. So Paul can say, let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. You don't have to do that. And then he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? There's this conflict in his own soul, in Paul's own soul. But what does he say? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it is through Christ and in Christ that we are set free. And what we're set free to do, and here, this is a little bit of a shift in the way that we think about things. It, it's, not, it's not that we are... Um, yeah, we are set. We are set free to obey God, but I think that one of a, a more biblical way to think about it is this: is that we are set free to love those things that God loves. God changes us; He brings us into communion with Himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in love. And what does He do to us? He causes us to love those things He loves. And one day we will experience that fully. We will experience the glorious liberty of the children of God. The Jews reply to Jesus this way. Oh, well, Jesus replies to them. He says, I know that you are descendants of Abraham, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. The way that Jesus sets us free, we'll look at this in more detail, is under the preaching of his word. The, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us children of God. Therefore, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't really desire these things, and actually I feel like I am in bondage to sin, go to the Word. Turn to the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Pray the Scriptures. If you know people who, I think, you know, they say they're Christians. I don't think they're Christians. I think they're bound in sin because the pattern of their life. They commit sin, and it's, it's just a pattern. That's what characterizes them. There's no real love for God and for His ways. Well, pray. Pray for them. Pray that Jesus would set them free. Be bold, right? There, there's, you could, there's two kinds of opportunities, right? You can wait for a door to open, or you can open the door. You can open the door and have a conversation with the person. And speak the words of Christ to them. That God might give them life and light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in the scriptures. And we ask that you would please Lord, help us. Help us to understand the scriptures. Not only to understand the scriptures, Lord, but to be set free to love the Word of God. Lord Jesus, you are the only one who can do this by your Word and by the power of the Spirit. So we ask that you would do it for those who are here who do not believe. And we ask, Lord God, that for those of us who do believe, I ask that you would help us to rejoice in the glorious liberty 
that we have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.